0: Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. We are, just to backtrack, we're talking about systematic theology. We were going with the pace of what the children were learning, but they spent too many weeks on Genesis and sin. Like they're going, they've got like 10 minute lessons and I've got an hour and a half lessons. So we're moving way far ahead. So we are under the big category of the order of salvation. How does God save sinners and what's the order? Okay, and so our main text has been in Romans chapter eight, verse 30. So I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. This is not a comprehensive passage of Scripture that talks about all of the aspects of salvation, but it does give us probably the best verse, one verse, that gives us the chronological, logical, theological order of how God saves us. Now remember, salvation's the brig umbrella. Salvation is the big umbrella. Underneath the umbrella are different aspects of our salvation that take place at certain times and in certain ways. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Paul writes this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so what is the first thing in, actually not really in time, but before time, what's the first aspect or the, the first thing in the order of salvation? It's God's predestination. Or you can call it God's foreknowledge, God's foreloving, God for choosing, God electing, God choosing. Okay, so when did that take place? That took place before the foundation of the world. But there comes a point in time when you actually experientially got saved. So, if you remember what we said, you are elected unto salvation, but you're not actually saved until something happens. And so, what we're going to talk about tonight is the second aspect or the second link in this golden chain of redemption those whom God predestined, He also called. God called you. Okay? Now, there are two types of calling the Bible talks about. There is the outward, universal call, the gospel call that goes to everybody. But in addition to that, there's an internal, supernatural, effectual call that goes only to those whom God has chosen. And that call ensures that you will respond and say, yes so let's first of all talk about the outward call because nobody is saved without hearing the gospel very rarely okay the normal way god uses to save people is somebody has to hear either a preacher or a friend or you hear a podcast or you actually read the bible but you have to actually hear the message so what's the outward call this is the offering of salvation in Christ to all people, together with an invitation to trust Christ in repentance and faith, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. This is a gospel presentation or a gospel call that goes out to all people. And here's what has to happen in order for a person to be saved. Okay, There are three aspects of the outward call. So first, there has to be a proclamation of the gospel. You have to actually share the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, through 4 I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, in which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Okay, Paul says this is the first importance. What did he receive? It's the gospel. Here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In order for a person to be saved, they have to hear the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Romans three twenty three through 26 For all have sinned fall short of the glory of God, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you have to have faith in Jesus. You have to understand that you are a sinner for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You need to hear that message. And then another passage of scripture that talks about the gospel is Galatians 1, 3-5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins... To deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the first thing that has to happen in the outward call that goes out to everybody is you've got to present the facts of the gospel. You're a sinner, Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again. You've got to give them the gospel information. But there's a second thing you've got to do as well. When we share the gospel with people that are unsaved, we've got to call them to repent and believe. This is the message. This is the truth. How do you respond to it? You must repent and believe. Isaiah 45, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Repent and believe. Turn and be saved. That's an Old Testament way of saying it. Jesus preached this in Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then Acts 20.21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God, and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the outward call, number one, includes the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Number two, it summons a call. You've got to respond to this message. How do you respond? You repent and you believe. And then the third thing is you give a promise of forgiveness for all who do call upon the name of the Lord. If you do, Repent and believe, if you do call upon the name of the Lord, you will receive forgiveness of sins. John 5, 24. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You have forgiveness of sins. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the outward call of the gospel that goes to every single person. Now, we talked about this with election, with predestination. Do we know the identity of the elect? No. Do we know whom God has chosen? No. So we share the gospel with everybody. We share it universally and indiscriminately, meaning that we go to every tribe, tongue, language, and peoples, and we tell them, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, You must repent and believe in Jesus, and if you do, you will receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So we extend this call to everybody, the outward call of the gospel. But it leads to a question. Here's the question. If the gospel call goes out universally, then why do some accept it and others do not? One argument would be, They use their free will to accept or reject the message. That's one answer. Or there's another type of calling that overcomes the most resistant of hearts and causes a sinner to come to Christ. So you have two answers. Why do some people say yes to Jesus and others say no? One camp would say the reason that you said yes is because you used your libertarian free will to choose Christ when the call came to you and you have the ability to do so. The other view would say, no, you're so much in bondage to sin that you are so dead in your sins that you can't respond unless God does an internal supernatural work to bring you to faith in Christ. Okay, so let me show you a passage of scripture where you see both the outward call and the inward call. It's in Jesus. Okay, Matthew eleven twenty five 25-30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father and and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what does that sound like? Jesus is making a choice as to who he's going to reveal himself to. He's hidden himself from some people. He's revealing himself to others. So there is some predestination, there's some election, there's some choice there. But then notice right on the heels of that, what does Jesus say? Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not schizophrenic here. What does he say? I'm choosing to reveal myself to whom I'm going to choose to reveal myself. But in the same breath, Jesus can say, come all who are weary and heavy laden. So a, a call goes out to everyone. That's the outward call of the gospel. But yet, in order for anyone to come to faith in Christ, there has to be an internal effectual supernatural calling that produces something okay so at a point in time god called you to salvation are you guys hearing that buzzing i wonder what's going on we'll just deal with it why did you say yes based upon Romans 8, chapter 30. For those God predestined, He also called. God's going to call those whom He has predestined in a special, effectual, supernatural way that actually produces a response. So if sinners... Are dead in their sins if we are enslaved to sin if our will our mind heart and will is in bondage to sin we can't come unless God does something in us to draw us and God's going to do that calling internally to those whom he predestined so if you have been predestined You will be called, and you will say yes. All right? So let's define the aspects of effectual calling. Now, let me just stop right here, and and let me define the terms effectual. What do you guys think effectual means? It's just that it's the historic word for it. It means effective, it means when God calls, it actually accomplishes what it intended to accomplish. It's effective. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. It's an effectual calling that actually brings you to faith in Christ. So, this is the first chain in the link of the golden chain of redemption. First, God calls those whom he has predestined by the word and the spirit. Okay, let's talk about word and spirit. What is the word? Bible. okay. The Bible, the gospel has to be preached. But is that enough? Who has to come along and do another work to make it effective? The Holy Spirit. So they have to work in concert. The gospel has to be proclaimed by your mouth or somebody's mouth from the scriptures, but then the Holy Spirit comes and does an internal work. So let's look at some of these scriptures. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. What word do you have there? We talked about three for three weeks. He's chosen you. Why? How do you know you were chosen? Because our gospel came to you not only in word. Okay, not only, not only just the message came to you, but how else did it come? It came in power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So how do you know you're chosen? Because you received that call when the gospel was preached to you and the Holy Spirit did that work of conviction and that work of power. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 We also thank God constantly for this that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, okay, there's the outward call. You heard the word from us outwardly But you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So, there has to be the outward, external call of the gospel that goes out to everybody. But yet, in addition to that, there's the internal, effectual call that goes to those whom God has chosen. And that call goes deep into your heart that gives you the ability to answer the call and say yes. So let's look at some other aspects of the effectual call. Second, God enlightens our minds or he opens our eyes to understand the things of God. Now, when Paul was before the authorities giving his testimony, he talked about how Jesus had saved him on the road to Damascus and what Jesus had called him to do. And so listen, to this is kind of picking up in the middle of Paul's sentence, but this is what Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, was called to do. To deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. So God's sending Paul to do what? Here's what you need to do to the Gentiles, Paul, when you go to them. Open their eyes. So they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul, I want you to go open people's eyes. Now let's ask a question. Can Paul literally, spiritually open anybody's eyes? So what is God calling him to do? What what does it mean that Paul is going to open people's eyes? Paul cannot do the supernatural work of opening people's eyes, but he does play a part in the effectual call. You play a part in this. So let me show you what part you play, what part God plays, and what part sinful people play in this whole issue of evangelism. So we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about sharing the gospel, we're talking about how you came to faith in Christ, how it experientially came to you. So 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6 is a very important scripture that teaches three truths. So let's read the scripture and then we'll talk about these three truths. So here we go. In their case, it's talking about unbelievers, unregenerate, Lost people. In their case, the God of this world, and that's talking about Satan. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And what's what's the result of that? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the face of Jesus Christ. So we see three things in this passage of Scripture, and they're all in the three verses, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. So what do we see in verse 4? What's the first thing you see in verse 4? We see this, unbelievers are blinded by Satan from seeing the glory of Christ. We call this total depravity. We talked about this many weeks ago. People are born in a condition where they are blinded, they are dead, they are lost, and they're in bondage to sin, and they can't see the glory of Jesus so that they would want Jesus. So here's the thing about sinners. Sinners don't want Jesus. They don't want him. And sinners can't trust in Jesus. They're not able. Why? Well, this passage of Scripture says it's because Satan's blinded their minds. Other passages talk about people being spiritually dead. Other passages talk about people being in bondage to sin. Other passages talk about having a heart of stone. It's all the same thing. So what has to happen? Eyes have to be open if they're blinded, right? If if you're blinded, what has to happen? Eyes have to be open. Can you open these eyes? No, it's a spiritual work. Okay, but what does Paul do? Look at the second thing. It's in verse 5. The gospel must be proclaimed to those who are dead in sin. This is the external call. What does verse 5 say? We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. So Paul says, listen, I know these people are blinded by Satan. And Paul doesn't say, well, I guess it's a hopeless cause. These people are blinded by Satan. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to kind of go my own way. And also Paul knew that even if he did preach the gospel, his words were not enough. So what's the only thing Paul could do? He preaches the gospel. He gives the external call of the gospel. He opens his mouth and shares. But what happens? Does that in and of itself open blind eyes and bring a sinner to faith in Christ? It's it's very vital. It needs to be there. But what's the third thing that happens? Something that Paul can't do. Paul can preach Christ. You can preach Christ. You can open your mouth and share the gospel, but you can't open eyes and open hearts. What does God do? Number 3 God supernaturally shines the light of the gospel in the hearts of the elect causing their eyes to be opened to the glory of Jesus and their need for a savior this is the internal and effectual call do you see language there what does paul say god said let there be light that's creation right god in genesis 1 god said let there be light and there was in the same way, God said, in your dead, dark, hopeless, helpless, hell-bound soul, let there be light, and there was. God created that light in you. And he took the blinders off your eyes, and he gave you the ability to see Jesus in all of his glory for the very first time. So that passage of Scripture teaches, number one, total depravity. Number two, the external call. You've got to preach the gospel. But then, number three, there has to be the internal call where God actually comes and opens eyes. So, God has to open your eyes. You can't do it. Okay? Not only do your eyes have to be opened because they're spiritually blinded, but number four, or number three, God opens hearts to the truth. The best place to go to this is where it actually uses the language. In Acts chapter 16, Paul goes to Philippi. Philippi is a town in the region of Macedonia. There were not enough men in the town to have a synagogue, so a bunch of ladies were meeting down by the river. And Paul found out about this, and he goes down to the river, and he begins to preach the gospel to these ladies. And here's what happens in Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what? Was said by Paul. Now, in this passage of Scripture, you see the external call and the internal call. Notice what it says there. One who heard us. She heard Paul's message, right? She heard Paul preach. She heard what Paul said. Paul was preaching the external gospel, but even with all of that external gospel being preached and she heard it, were her eyes opened? No. She heard it. But what what did she actually have to have happen to her before she truly understood it? The Lord had to open her heart. Now, read that very carefully. Did she open her heart? Who opens whose heart? The Lord opened her heart. Now, why couldn't she understand what Paul was saying, even though Paul was preaching? How come her heart had to be opened? She heard what Paul was saying. She tracked with his gospel message. Well, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us this. The natural person, and this talking about an unsaved person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Lydia could understand the information Paul was giving, but she could not fully understand the spiritual need for Jesus until the Lord opened her heart to truly understand what Paul. So, as a natural person who was totally depraved and dead in her sins, Lydia could not accept the things of the Spirit of God. She heard the external message that Paul preached, but something else had to happen to her so that she could get saved. What was that thing that had to happen to her? The Lord opened her heart. This is the effectual call. It's the internal supernatural work that God did in addition to the external call. Now here's something we need to understand. and It's related to the doctrine of election. There will be many who sit under preaching of the external call who will never come to faith in Christ. You may share the gospel with a person and they never get saved. There may be a person in the sanctuary that comes Sunday after Sunday, hears the gospel, never gets saved. And here's the question, why? They hear the external call, but they never say yes. Why? There's two reasons. Reason number one, they were not predestined before the foundation of the world for salvation. Or to say it another way, the Father had not given them to Jesus. The Father passed over them and left them in their sins. Because only those who are predestined will be called internally. Everybody will be called externally. Only those predestined will be called internally. And so the second issue is the Lord did not do an internal, supernatural, and effectual calling in their souls to open their eyes and give them a new heart. So the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote this, Human preachers knock at the door of men's hearts. The Spirit comes with the key and opens the door. You understand what I'm saying? When I preach, all I can do is knock at a heart. But I can't open the heart. The Holy Spirit's the one with the key that can come in and open the heart and do that internal work. So both are needed. The external call, the gospel needs to go out, the gospel message, preaching of the truth. But the Holy Spirit's got to come behind that or in in addition to that and do that internal work. He's got to open the eyes. He's got to take the blinders off the eyes. He's got to open the heart. And not only that, so your mind has to be changed. Your heart has to be changed. But number four, your will has to be changed. God has to renew your will. God has to do a work to change your will. Left to, let me just say it this way in your free will that you have, you'll never choose Jesus. Because your will only chooses what its desire is, and your will only chooses based upon its nature. And what's your nature? A sin nature. You're only going to choose what your nature wants. And left to yourself, you're never going to choose Jesus until God does something to renew your will. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and that you live. So that's a weird statement. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. What does it mean that God circumcises your heart? I'll leave you hanging on that one. We'll come back to it next week. And then Philippians 2:13, "For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure." So God works in you, He renews your will. Left to yourself in your free will, you're always going to say no, until Jesus comes or the Holy Spirit comes, renews that will, opens those eyes, opens that heart, and does the work of the effectual call. And then what actually happens when that calling comes? God effectually draws us to Christ. We've looked at this time and time again, but we'll look at it again. John 6, 44 through 45 No one can come to me unless... The Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. No one can come. Why can't we come? We're spiritually dead. We're blinded by Satan. Our hearts are dead. Our will is in bondage. Unless something happens, what has to happen? The Father has to draw you. How does God draw you? Well, notice that second verse there. All who have learned and heard from the Father come to me. God has to do an internal teaching into your heart. You hear the external teaching, you hear the external preaching, but God has to come and draw you. And how does he draw you? He draws you by going, some, going deep into your heart and calling you deep into your heart so that you come. And then what happens? What happens? Number six, this work of God is not coercive, but makes us freely and willing to come to faith. What happens when the Father draws you? What does John 6, 37 say? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me i will never, never cast out. Remember, it doesn't say all the Father gives me may come to me, might come to me, could come to me. It says they will what? They will come. When you've been called, you will come. Why will you come? Because you were given by the Father to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Could you come on your own? No, because you were dead in sin. God had to do something in you to bring you to faith. Robert Shaw, he's an old, um, I think an old Scottish Presbyterian, I'm not quite sure. Um, He says that the obstinacy of our will is overcome its perverseness taken away, and the whole soul, powerfully yet sweetly, is attracted to the Savior. Before your salvation, you were not attracted to Jesus. He was either boring to you, he did not make sense, he was not captivating, he was not beautiful, you did not see him as Lord and Savior that all changed when that call came and the eyes opened and the heart opened and God did that work. And so for the very first time, you see and you sense your need for Jesus. You're made alive. Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, okay, we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Who made whom alive? Can you make yourself alive if you're spiritually dead? No. God has to make you alive. So, what I want to do now is, I want to go to five key passages, and this is where you're going to start having to open your Bibles now. Five key passages that teach effectual calling. So let's go to the first one, which is a parable. And we've got to remember, we don't want to get too caught up in every detail of a parable. There's, there's one main point, one central point of a parable. So let's go to Matthew 22, 1 through 14. <clears throat> Matthew 22, 1 through 14. This is the parable of the wedding bank. So let me give you guys a little bit of help in interpreting parables. Parables are some of the hardest things to understand in the Bible. Let me give you two general rules of parables. First, there's generally one main point. Possibly two, but there's generally one main point that Jesus is driving home. And the second thing is that one main point is usually the punchline at the end or what is said at the end of the parable is the main point. Okay? So let's read this, Matthew 22, 1-14. through And again, Jesus spoke to them in in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a great wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. And he sent others servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, in the ESV, it uses the word invited many times. The word invited is the Greek word called. So anytime you see the word invited there, it's just the word called. These people were called. Now, in verse 3, what happens to the first group of people whom the servant calls to the wedding feast or invites? They would not come. They did not want to come. In verse 4, the servants go out. They give more information. There's a great feast. There's a fattened calf. The king's gone to great expense. Come to the wedding feast. What do we find out in verse 4? I mean, sorry, verse 5. They paid no attention, and they went off on their own to do their business. So response 1 is, "Ah, we really don't want to come. Response 2 is, we've got better things to do. Well, response 3 is outright hostility and violence. Verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So they killed the servants. Okay, so the king starts over again, sends his servants out on the main roads, finds anybody he could respond, who would respond and come. So again, the message goes out to everybody, the call goes out to everybody, and people show up. Verse 10, the servants went out of the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the call goes out, and people come. Except there's this one dude that's dressed in the wrong clothes. What do we find out about that guy? He's not clothed in what? What does it say? Verse 11 When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This guy tries to come into the banquet without the right clothes, and he gets tossed out. Okay. So, what is this all about? Well, most scholars believe that the first three groups are the Jews who rejected the prophets, killed the prophets group, both good and bad, probably are more likely the Gentiles. But then here's the thing. The man that came in with the wrong clothes, he had received the call, right? But he showed up and he was kicked out. Why? Well, what's the punchline at the end? Many are called but few were chosen. What's the one consistent issue in this entire parable? Every single group was called. They were invited. They were called to the wedding banquet. So that's the external call. Everybody was invited. Yet, only those who were chosen and graciously given the right clothing were fit to enter the banquet. So here's the point of the parable. Many people, even Jews, are outwardly called to salvation, but yet only those who are chosen for salvation will come because God graciously granted them saving faith and righteousness. Many are called, few are chosen. In other words, the gospel call goes out to everybody, but only those that will be saved are the ones that are chosen. So you have the external call that goes out to everybody, but only those that are going to respond are the, rightly to be in the kingdom are the ones whom God has chosen. Because it goes back to Romans 8. Those whom he predestined, he also called. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So this parable teaches the outward call and the inward call related to being chosen. So that's, that's the first example. Now, let's go to the second passage of Scripture, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 31. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to actually back up in verse 18. Yeah, verse 18 is an important verse. So everybody in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word or the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That word folly means moronic. Actually, it means this. The message of the cross is offensively moronic to those that are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So when the message of the cross goes out, the gospel call goes out, the message of Jesus goes out, there are going to be some people that find it offensively moronic, and there are going to be others that find it beautiful and will get saved. Now, what's the qualifier here? Let's keep reading. Let's go down to verse 22. Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. Paul says, we preach Christ. That's the outward call. We preach Christ. But when we preach Christ, it's a stumbling block. It's offensive. It's offensive to both Jews and to both Gentiles. But there's one group of people it's not going to be offensive to. What does he say there in verse 24? But to those who are, what? Called. Internally called. Those that find it a stumbling block and those that are called get the same information. They get the message of the cross. What's the determining factor why somebody accepts the message of the cross and another person finds it foolish? The determining factor is the one that finds it foolish was not called and the one that did come to Christ was called. So here's the point that Paul's saying here. In Paul's audience, everyone was called. With an outward call. We preach Christ crucified. Now why did some reject that? Why did some find it moronic? Why did some find it foolish? They weren't called. But you say, well, they heard the message. They were called. Yes, they were called outwardly. They heard the call outwardly. But they were not called inwardly. If they had been called inwardly and effectually, they would have embraced Jesus and not found the gospel to be foolish or a stumbling block. Now, let's ask the question, why do we know these people were called? Let's keep reading. Verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose... What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Consider your calling. Why were they called? Because they were chosen. You see a pattern here? Everybody's called. Not everybody answers the call. Only those that answer the call are those whom were chosen. And how does that happen? God does an inward call, a supernatural call to go to their heart, to open their heart, to open their eyes, so that they can say yes to Jesus. Many are called outwardly. But only those that are chosen will get the internal call that actually brings about the new birth. All right, let's go to the next passage. This is in Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 19. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. We won't spend a lot of time on this because this one's pretty, pretty evident. Let's just start in verse 16. Everybody there? Ephesians 1. Let's start in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, what's Paul's prayer? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope To which He has called you? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places? Paul compares the power God used to raise Jesus from the dead with the power he used to grant us new life. He says there, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened. Remember what happened to Lydia? God opened her heart. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. God has to open the heart. So what's he praying here? I want your, the eyes of your heart to be opened. And I want you to know how you've been called to that. And Paul compares that calling that opening to the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. So we cannot raise ourselves to new life. We cannot overcome our deadness to sin. God must do a supernatural work of effectual calling to bring us to Christ. Okay, number four. This is probably the most clear teaching of all of what we've been talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. And I don't have the New American Standard. I prefer its translation better than the ESV just because there's a, I bore you with this, there's a textual variant in there that I, that, that can go either way. It can say from the beginning or first fruits. But the point is, let's read this together. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's just talk about this. God chose them to be saved. And how'd that happen? It came because God called you through the gospel. So the gospel came. The outward call came to those that were chosen. What did those who were chosen do when the gospel came? Well, they were sanctified in the Spirit. The Spirit did a work in there, and then they believed the truth. So, what's the order? You were chosen. God called you. When God called you, He did a work of the Spirit in you that gave the ability to believe, and you said yes. So, it's always the same order. God chooses. Those whom he chooses, he calls. He calls outwardly through the gospel, inwardly through the spirit. And when he does it inwardly through the spirit, because you've been chosen, because you've been called, you're going to say yes. And you're going to believe the truth. And so was this merely an external call that could be rejected? Or was it an effectual call that resulted in faith because the source of all this was God's predestinating love? The source of all of this was God's choosing. Okay, there's one more verse. Number five. 2 Timothy 1.9 When did God call you and when did God give you grace? And how does it work together? 2 Timothy 1.9 Who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began so when did god give us this grace before the ages began when did god choose us for salvation before the foundation of the world was it in None that caused God to do this? Was it any works we had done for this choosing? It's according to God's purpose. So what happened at a point in time? God called you. Why did He call you? Because He gave you grace before the foundation of the world. He chose you for salvation. So, that is a biblical and theological definition of, of effectual calling. But let's answer some objections. What if I don't agree with this? What I object. Pastor Sean, or you should say I object, Paul. I'm going to give you two major objections to effectual calling that somebody that people over history have leveled against this view, okay? So here's the first, and it goes more towards the issue of free will. If God commands us to believe, This must mean we can believe. In other words, ought implies can. If I ought to believe, that implies I have the ability to believe. So the the whole point is, is that if God tells me to repent and believe, I don't need an internal call because I can do it. Why would God command me to repent and believe if I can't do it? Why would God command me to do something I can't? So if God commands me to repent and believe, I must have the ability to do that. So the fundamental assumption is that when God commands something, humans must therefore have the ability to do what God commands. Why would God command us to do something he knows we would or we could not do? So let me give you the three alternative views in history as to how to answer this question. Okay? Three alternative views throughout history to the view that I hold to and that we predominantly hold to here in this church. Number one is Pelagianism. We talked about this back when we talked about original sin. Pelagianism is named after the British monk Pelagius who argued that humans are born neutral and not with original sin. This was declared heretical by three or four church councils. Even the Roman Catholic Church considers this heretical. This is the view that You're born a blank slate. You can choose to sin. You can choose not to sin. You didn't receive any sin from Adam. You didn't inherit any sinful nature. You're basically just neutral. And if God tells you to believe, you can do it because you have no sin nature holding you back from doing it. Okay, that is a heresy all across church history. Pelagianism, downright Pelagianism. Now, number two, which I would argue is the predominant view in America today Is semi Pelagianism. And this would say our natural state is one of moral and spiritual sickness, but we can still use our free will to accept or reject Jesus. Okay, what semi Pelagianism says is this You are not dead in sin, you're sinful, you're tainted with sin. You have a sin nature, but that does not impact your libertarian free will to say yes when the gospel comes to you. So all you need is the gospel appeal. All you need is the gospel to be preached to you. And so when the gospel comes to you, you have the ability still to say yes. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to do anything internally. The Holy Spirit does not have to bring any type of internal supernatural work. You have the ability to say yes. You're sinful but you're not totally depraved, you're not spiritually dead, you're spiritually sick. So when the gospel call comes, you can say yes, you can say no, it's basically up to you. There is a remnant of sin in you, but it hasn't rendered you totally depraved, spiritually in bondage, and totally unable to come to faith in Christ. That's semi-Pelagianism. What you need is information. You need the gospel. Once you hear the gospel, that's enough to enable a response. There does not need to be any type of opening of the eyes, opening of the heart, taking out a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh because you have the ability to say yes, you still retain that. You're not spiritually dead, you're spiritually sick. Okay. Now, number three is Arminianism. And Arminianism and Calvinism start at the same starting place. Arminianism and Calvinism both start with humans being totally depraved, bondage to sin, spiritually dead, unable to come to faith in Christ. So at least Calvinist and Arminians, hey James, you looking for somebody? This is the big kid's room. (laughs) So um, Arminianism and Calvinism both start with humans are totally depraved, unable to come to faith. No one can come. Okay, so Arminians say we are totally depraved, we're dead in sins, we agree with them on this. But here's where we diverge. Okay, this is the difference. God gives to everyone what's called prevenient or enabling or or grace that comes before so that everyone who hears the gospel call is able to accept it by cooperating with this grace or they can use their free will to reject this grace. So, What Arminianism says is this. We all start spiritually dead and unable to have faith in Christ. Instead of God giving the effectual call only to the elect, God gives a call to everybody. And that's a grace that makes you able to cooperate with God. It kind of like gets you over the hump. We'll wait here in just a moment. (laughs) There's too many distractions. He's, he's running away. Anyway, Arminianism basically, it's, it's an assisting grace that kind of gets you over the hump, but it's really ultimately up to you to get yourself all the way to say yes or no. Um, so here's the thing. We'll take Pelagianism out of the category because that's totally a... Um, A heresy. But in both semi-Pelagianism and Arminianism, what a sinner only needs is some persuasion. You just need some persuasion from a preacher. Or all you need is the gospel message itself. Or you need a wooing from the Holy Spirit. One who is dead in sin needs more than a gospel appeal. Or persuasion or even conviction from the Holy Spirit. What does a sinner need? A sinner needs new life, a spiritual resurrection, an inward supernatural work on the soul to overcome that deadness and inability. So the objection is this. If God commands me to repent and believe, therefore I must have the ability to repent and believe because God wouldn't ask me to do it if he... He wouldn't ask me to do that if he, if he knew we couldn't do it. And what's the answer to that? Yes, God commands us to do something we can't do. And how do I know that? What does John six forty four say? No one can come. Unless. There's got to be that unless there. Yes, no one can come. So God does command us to come to Jesus, but we can't unless God draws, God calls. Okay? Now, the second objection, first is ought means can. If God commands us to do something, we must have the ability to do it. If God tells us to repent and believe, we must have the inherent ability to repent and believe because God wouldn't ask us to do something that he knows we can't do. Biblically, he does. He asks us to do something we can't do, but he gives us the grace to do it. And he only gives that grace to the elect. And here's the second thing. Humans can resist this calling by using the free will to reject Jesus. That's the objection. It's not an effectual call. It's a resistible call. In other words, God can call you and call you and woo you, and persuade you, but ultimately you can resist it and say no. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you resist God's call? It's a trick question. Can you resist the outward call? Okay, here's the point. You can resist, let let me ask you a different way. Those of you that became Christians as adults, did you become a Christian the very first time you heard the gospel? Or did it take multiple times? So you resisted it many times, didn't you? We're not saying you can't resist the gospel call. What we're saying is that when it's your time to come, it's your time to come. God will make sure you believe. So you cannot resist it in the sense that if you are chosen and God calls you, you will come. Now, that may take multiple attempts by somebody sharing the gospel with you in God's sovereignty, but when it's time for you to come to faith and God does that work, you will come. Now, what does John 6, 37-44 say? All that the Father gives me, what? Will come to me. Those who come to me I'll not cast out. No one can come to me unless the Father who draws me, draws them uh, and I will raise them up on the last day. Can that drawing be resisted? No, it can't be resisted because if God draws you, you will come. Okay? But there's a sweetness to the call. There's a sweetness to the call. A lot of times people accuse us of our view of effectual calling being this. God coerces you against your will and he, and he drags you kicking and streaming into heaven and you come there you know, against your will. Does God ever violate or coerce you or go something against your will to bring you to faith? No. God changes your will. Because let's think about it this way. If left to yourself, you'd never want to come. So God has to overcome your will. He doesn't do it violently. He doesn't do it coercively. He does it sweetly. He opens those eyes sweetly. He does that work at opening your heart sweetly so that you do see. So Francis Turretin, who was a great um, Reformed theologian, says this, It is powerful, talking about the effectual calling, It is powerful that it may not be frustrated, sweet that it may not be forced. Its power is supreme and unconquerable that the corruption of nature may be conquered, yet still it is friendly and agreeable. So it is an effectual, powerful, supernatural work that God does, but it's something that you don't even perceive it's happening because to you, you're just like, I want Jesus. For the very first time, I see Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm convicted, and I freely come. Why do you freely come? Because God has done that work in you to cause you to freely come. Uh, Listen to the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is kind of a long quote, but I'll, I'll give it to you here. He says, I do not like the term irresistible grace. I don't like that term either. I prefer effectual calling. I do not like the term irresistible grace because it seems to give the impression that something has happened which has been hammering at a person's will and has knocked him down and bludgeoned him. But it is not that. It is that the Holy Spirit implants a principle within me that enables me for the very first time in my life to discern and understand something of this glorious, wondrous truth. He works works. Upon my will. He does not strike me, he does not beat me, he does not coerce me. No, thank God what he does is operate on the will so that I desire these things and rejoice in them and love them. He leads, persuades, he acts upon my will in such a way that when he does, the call of the gospel is effectual and in certain and it is certain and it is sure. God's work never fails, and when, God's work, when, when God works in a man or woman, that work is effective. <clears throat> it's not a coercive thing where God drags you creaking and streaming against your will to heaven. At the same time, it's, it cannot be resisted. When God chooses to call you, you will come. And you will come freely And you will come joyfully, and you will come with your eyes open for the very first time that I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, and Jesus is my Savior, and I need Him. And you want Him, and you desire Him. And that desire and that wanting and that needing Him did not come from you because before you were dead in sin, it came as a result of that call. Now, let's look at one last thing here. Let's look at an illustration from the death of Lazarus. This is an illustration of effectual calling. It doesn't outright teach it in the text, but it's an illustration. So, let's go to John chapter 11. You guys remember the story of Lazarus? La- Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. They lived in Bethany, and Jesus would often visit them and he they were dear friends of Jesus. And Lazarus had become ill and he died. And he had been dead like 3 days and his disciples are like, "Why aren't we going?" You, Jesus you could have gone and saved him and, and he wouldn't have died and Jesus is like hold your horses guys God's got a bigger plan here we're going to wait and we're going to show up at just the right time and then he shows up and then Martha lays into him and says if you would have been here my brother wouldn't have died and everybody's crying and there's this big funeral and basically they have put him in a tomb so let's pick up in verse 38 I've kind of paraphrased all of chapter 11 here Verse 38, John 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. I think the King James Version, if you have it, says, Lord, he stinketh. I think it says he stinketh. (laughs) There's an odor. He's been dead for four days. So it's four days. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What do you find interesting about this event? Can Lazarus hear Jesus say, Lazarus, come out? Like, Jesus, why are you talking to a dead man? He's dead. He's been dead four days. He can't hear you, Jesus. No matter how loud you yell into that tomb, Jesus, he's not going to hear you. He's dead. Now, Jesus could have gone in and grabbed Lazarus out. He could have instructed people to go in and take, to take Lazarus out. But how does Jesus bring Lazarus forth from the grave? He calls to a dead man. And what does he say to the dead man? Lazarus come out. Now I've heard some commentators say the reason he had to say Lazarus come out because if he didn't say Lazarus, everybody would come out of their graves. (laughs) He had to say Lazarus specifically so Lazarus would come out. So here's the point. The call created the life. The call of Jesus powerfully created the life in the dead man for him to stand up and walk out. Do you see calling there? Jesus called. And what did the call produce? The call was effectual. It was supernatural. It produced life. Now let's talk about the analogy here. What's the spiritual analogy? Every single one of us before our salvation was like Lazarus. Spiritually. We were spiritually dead. We were in bondage to our sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were unable to hear. We were blinded by Satan. Our hearts were dark. We we were dead. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, your name, come out. And when that call came to you, what did that call do? The call created the faith. The call created the life. And did you say back to Jesus, did Lazarus say, Jesus, I want to stay dead, I don't want to come out? Did did, did Lazarus say that? No, what did he do? He obeyed the call, and he came out because the call itself had the power of life. When Jesus calls you, outwardly, you hear the call in your ears. But inwardly, the call goes to your heart, and the Lord opens your heart. And you come to life. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life because the call has the power to create the life. And what that call does is it brings about regeneration, the new birth. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Effectual calling and regeneration are go hand in hand. They're a little bit different, but there's power in the call. It's effectual. It's supernatural. It's, it's irresistible. It's God's working that miracle to bring us to life. So, that is effectual calling. Those whom God predestined, He also called. If you were predestined, you're going to say yes to the call. You can't because you're dead in sin until God comes and does that work to bring you to faith. So, are there any questions tonight on Effectual calling. Nobody? Yeah, Mark. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. According to, it goes back to foreknowledge. So, your question is in semi Pelagianism and in Arminianism, did God know what the responses were going to be? Yes. God knew what the responses were going to be, and based upon what God saw and knew those responses would be, he elected based upon what he saw what those responses would be. He ratified decisions he saw happening when people used their free will. And if he didn't foresee those, he didn't elect. Does that make sense? (coughs) It's based upon free will. It's based upon conditions that a sinner has to meet, namely repentance and faith, in order for God to choose them versus an unconditional election where there are no conditions. God chooses simply because it's his good pleasure to do so. So, um, I would just put it in practical terms. Are you thankful for God calling you? Because if he did not call you, you would never come. Or you can argue that you had the free will to come all along and it was up to you. I'll let, I'll let that be your choice. All right, any other questions? Alright, so next week we're going to talk about regeneration, which is to be born again. So what happens in the effectual call is that God brings life to your soul that was dead and you're regenerated. So we're going to talk a little bit, there's, there's, a, there's a minor distinction, but they're very similar to what effectual calling and regeneration are, um, but Normally, we, we equate regeneration with the terminology being born again and what that means. So we'll talk about that next week, okay? All right, let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy and, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you called us. Thank you that it was an effectual call that actually opened our eyes, actually opened our hearts, took the blinders off our eyes, it did, did a work of grace in us, deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, deep in our minds, to draw us to you. We would never have come on our own without that effectual calling in our lives. And so Lord, um, thank you that you've called us. And um, Lord, help us to go out and tell people about you, Jesus. And we know that all we can do is just share. Open our mouths. We can't do the supernatural work. That's up to you. But we can play a huge part in telling people about you, Jesus. So help us to be faithful in doing that. And let us do all things for your glory. And we ask